Welcome to Heartland FM and welcome to this programme. It's Heart and Soul this morning with David Wilkie and me, Howard Simpson. Each of us are working from home and Sam Ross has put the whole thing together for us. Coming up this morning, we'll be hearing more from Peter Stanford. Willie Wright will be talk for a little bit about Charles Wesley. Adrian Plass reads another chapter from his book, The Unlocking. And Matthew Robertson concludes his reminiscences as told to the Pitlochry Church of Scotland Guild. And, as usual, we have the notice board and music. We'll start the music uh, with one of Charles Wesley's hymns, taken from a prom praise concert with the All Souls musicians, and to the tune Blanwarden, this is Love Divine or Love's Excelling.
Later we heard the Prom Praise Choir and All Souls Musicians with Love Divine or Love's Excelling. Here's David now to introduce our next piece. Last week we heard Michael Barclay talking to writer and campaigner Peter Stanford about protest songs. This week they discuss prison reform and in the second part, child abuse. Well, you yourself, Peter, have devoted a great deal of time over the years to what one might call wider political causes, charities for people with disabilities, and in particular, campaigning for prison reform. And I think this started because of your meeting, uh, the late Lord Longford, who led uh, a controversial campaign, didn't he, for the release of the child murderer, Mara Hindley. That's right. In, um, so my first job on leaving university was at a Catholic newspaper called the Catholic Herald. And um, the then editor, in about 1985, I think, sent me to asked me to go and interview Lord Longford, who uh, at that stage was pressing very hard for Myra Hindley to be paroled. And I remember very clearly saying, well, I don't want to go. He's, you know, he's a silly old fool. And uh, he's been bewitched by this woman, which was the public view then. I think one of the tabloids used to call him Lord Wrongford all the time. Anyway, I was told I had to go. It's good to be told what to do sometimes. And so I went and met him at 12 o'clock in his offices, publishing. he was a publisher then as well, and he gave me the statutory enormous schooner of sherry. Uh, I think what people may not remember about Longford was that he, in the 1960s, he was a fairly considerable political figure and did a report for the Labour Party, for Harold Wilson's Labour Party, before they came into government in 64, and he was a member of the Cabinet then, around the parole system. So he understood what parole was about. And parole, he explained to me, if you have a, 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 a minimum sentence, which Hindley did. She had life and she was expected to serve 25 years. It has to be reviewed. She ticked all the boxes for parole in terms of reform, rehabilitation, remorse. She was remorseful. I later went and visited her in prison many times. She was remorseful for what she did. Don't believe what was said about her. Um, and that that's the basis on which he was campaigning. But I suppose the thing about him, I then went on later to write his life story. And then after his death to set up a a charity with his friends and his family called the Longford Trust, where we support young ex-prisoners to go to university. But the thing that he said that has stayed with me ever since was that the moment you write off any individual as being capable of reform or rehabilitation, and he obviously would add redemption to that because he was a, a, a very passionate Catholic, you not only write them off, you write yourself off, you write your own humanity off. And I suppose... One of the things that I feel very, very strongly about is everybody deserves a second chance, particularly prisoners. And that as a society, you know, we send people to prison for punishment. And that is, I've no problem with punishment. I completely understand that. But we also send them to prison for rehabilitation. I don't think the rehabilitation in prison is brilliant. And I think when people come out of prison and try to get on with their lives to take that second chance, society too often refuses to believe that they can be rehabilitated and refuses to give them a chance. And all that does is it makes them go back and do what they did before because they think if that's what people will always think of me, I may as well do what they think of me. What about uh, the families of people, uh, of victims, for example? Do you have any sympathy with the feelings that people who've done these appalling things and ruined their lives should stay in prison and never get out, never get the opportunity that the victims will never get? 
Well, we do have people who stay in prison for all of their lives. We do have all life sentences now. Um, about, I think, 50 or 60 people in our prisons at the moment have all life sentences. And sometimes they may be appropriate. There are also people who are so severely mentally ill that they can never be released. But uh, of course I have sympathy. But what we cannot do is allow the, the, the victims to dictate the sentence. There has to be some coming together as a society to decide what we believe to be the the, the seriousness of that crime and obviously that view is informed by the view of victims but can't be dictated by it and so we set minimum tariffs for different things and we have always to allow for some chance of rehabilitation it's that very fundamental principle that Longford outlined which is why I got involved in all of this is that people can change you know some of the people we work with at the Longford Trust the transformation in them that we see just in the the short period of three or four years that we work with them and they go forward and do wonderful things. You know, we've got people working in the civil service and accountancy and universities in campaigning organisations, bringing so much to society. We can't just write that off. You've written about uh, the nature of evil, uh, Peter, in a book about the devil, in fact. Um, and, of course, that actually proved more popular than a book about angels, didn't it? Because we all like the dark side of life in drama. Well, it, well, it has so far. Uh, he says, right? He says nervously. One always has hopes for one's latest book. Um, yes, absolutely. The um, the dark side, as, as as people might call it. Um, and in one sense, what is the devil? The devil is the face that we have always put to kind of human evil or to to an evil force in society. Um, but again, it, it goes back to my Catholic childhood. I was educated uh, by the. Christian brothers, who did lots of very good things for me, but they spent an awfully long time um, telling us that the devil was just round the corner and the devil was going to come and get us if we weren't careful. So it was a very sort of devil fueled childhood in that sense. So again, it was me trying as a, as a grown-up to understand what that meant and why people are drawn to the devil. And to go back to your question in a way, they're more drawn to the devil than they are to goodness. <laughs> yes. And we'll come back to Peter Stanford and Michael Barclay in a wee while. Meantime, here's Maddie Pryor with her carnival band and all hail the power of Jesus' name.
Friday prior with the Carnival Band and the tune Diadem for All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. But let's go back to Michael Barclay and Peter Stanford now. We've touched lightly on some pretty weighty issues, uh, which I think challenge anyone with religious faith, Peter, the existence of suffering and evil, for example. But as a Catholic, there's another challenge, a really major one, the, the widespread abuse by Catholic priests of the children in their care and the seeming blind eye turned by some of those higher up in the church. I raise this with you now because... You had a terrible revelation when your family priest, who I think you much admired, turned out to be an abuser. That's right. Um, we were, I talked about our wedding beforehand. We were married by a priest called Father Kit Cunningham at St. Ethel Dreeders in London. And he became a great friend afterwards. Actually, he was, he was a great friend to prisoners as well. He did wonderful work there. In every way, uh, a good man, I thought. And he died, um, I think, in about 2010. I wrote an obituary of him in The Guardian saying what a good man he was. And about three days later, I got a letter from a man who said, how could you say that about that man? He abused me in my childhood in, um, in East Africa in a school run by Father Kitt's religious order, the Rosminians in, um, in East Africa. And it came as a terrible shock. I mean, I, I suppose very stupidly, I thought I could... I could, I, I would see an abuser. I would, I would realise an abuser was an abuser. I, I, somehow, I, I would have a sense of it, and I didn't at all. And I suppose the other thing that shocked me was the extent to which none of that had been said about him. So what I learned then was that the people who had been abused by him uh, brought all this forward towards the end of uh, of his life, and that they were, there was a discussion going on. And yet the funeral was carried out as if nothing had happened. Uh, none of that was mentioned at all. He'd actually been given the MBE, and he'd returned it just before his death because of all of this. Again, none of that mentioned in any way at all. And I suppose it just it awoke me to several things. One is the, the instinct that Catholic Church has simply to cover these things up, really not to be clear about them. And also the instinct it has to sort of, we talked about victims beforehand, and I think in this in, in, in this situation uh, as in other situations, victims are sometimes pushed to one side, and the thing that drove me mad and drove these, these a whole group of men who, who, who talked to me afterwards, was this sense that they are historical victims. Mm. And the church, you often hear churchmen say, well these are historical cases. They're not historical for the men, they live with it all of their lives. And I think the Catholic Church, I mean, what the Catholic Church will say is, oh, well, it happens every, you know, it happens, it happens in the BBC, Jimmy Savile, they'll, they'll mention. But the difference is that the Catholic Church sets itself up to be better than the rest of us. The institution of the church puts itself on a pedestal and preaches morality. And this is what they allowed to happen. And this is what they then covered up. And I still, I still don't feel they get it, really. I mean, they've, they've moved a long way since then. I wrote an article about all of this after the revelation in The Observer and my own difficult experience, but so not difficult compared to the experience that the people who have been abused went through. And I've never got so many letters. It was the article I wrote that I got the, the biggest postback for. People feel really strongly about this. And lots of Catholics have simply walked away from the church, simply walked away. And I completely understand why they've done it. It, it, it goes to the core. Michael Barclay was talking to Peter Stanford there. Okay, this vocal band coming up now uh, with You Are My Strength, and you'll also hear part of Packabell's Canon in D in the package. Mm-hmm. 
strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. And seeking you as a precious jewel, Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all in
David's vocal band and You Are My Strength. And I thought that worked quite well with uh, the Canon in D in the package. Sometimes I don't really like it when two themes are together, but that one, as I say, I thought that worked quite well. Let's have a look at the notice board. And it's very similar to uh, previous weeks because most of the action, in fact, just about all of it, takes place on the internet. The Abate churches uh, have a service available from their websites, uh, any of them. The Aberfeldy, Dullin, Logirate websites are quite easily accessible, for example. It's also available by phone. I'll give you the number again. It's 01887 440446. That's 01887 for the Aberfeldy code 440446. And you wait about 20 seconds for it to start. Also, at the websites, you can read the print version if you would prefer to do that. Pitlochry Church of Scotland have a service available with Mary Haddo from their website or the Facebook page. And that one can also be heard by phone. I'll give you the number for that. It is 01796 for the Pitlochry code and 51704. Pitlochry Baptist Church service, that's on the YouTube channel, at uh, 11 o'clock this morning and there and thereafter it can be watched. It's also here on Heartland FM at 1 o'clock. Dunkel 2, the service is available via the website and the YouTube channel. And the one I usually mention for Perth, because it's every day, at Perth North Church, have uh, their minister Ken Stott has a daily piece on their Facebook page. And I think most of the other churches in the Perth area and indeed the Highland Perthshire area also have something on the internet. As well as that, some churches are using Zoom for small friendship groups or prayer meetings, discussion groups or virtual coffee mornings. Uh, you really have to ask the church of your choice about that. Now David, David here, David Wilkie, he's been developing a podcast site called Scott Thoughts it's available via Spotify, and there you can find pieces from Mary Haddo, the late Les Brown, and Willie Wright. We'll be hearing from him in a little while, but that's you can hear that on the Scott Thought site. Uh, David's also been uploading recent Heart and Souls, so you, if you missed it or want to listen again, you can pick them up there. I should also say that it's worth looking at Heartland FM's Listen Again site, because some of these heart and souls are there, also some of the sounds inspirational, and of course other programmes from the Heartland FM output. Back to music, and for the music it's uh, going to be the Scott family again choosing the music and for sounds inspirational, and that's on Tuesday evening at 7, repeated on Thursday evening at 10. And as I say, some of those are also on the Listen Again um, feature on the uh, heartland.scot website. Speaking of music, uh, here are the St. Michael Singers and Charles Wesley's Jesus, the name high over all.
Lydia is the name of that lively tune for Jesus, the name high over all. It was sung there by the St. Michael singers. Now it's over to David to tell us what's coming up next. Willie Wright was minister of Pitlochry Baptist Church until his retirement to the Ayrshire coast. Willie has produced a series of talks about hymns and hymn writers. Today we hear one about Charles Wesley. I think he's got to be uh, a favourite hymn writer from the past. He's probably one of our most prolific hymn writers, having written between six and 7,000 hymns. I can only think of one person who's uh, beaten him, and I think that's Fanny Crosby, over in America a number of years ago. But uh, Charles Wesley hymns, yeah, still worth singing, and many of them are still sung. Mm-hmm. And what about Over a Thousand Tongues to Sing? Over a Thousand Tongues is a singable mm-hmm. song. Uh, not many people know, perhaps, that originally it had 18 verses. And I think we're grateful to his brother John for suggesting that was maybe a bit much and that we should sing fewer. But the way it came about is an interesting way. Um, Many people know John Wesley's story, 24th of May, 1738, when he was listening to someone speaking at a little meeting in Aldersgate Street in London. He wrote in his journal, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. But uh, not so many people know that just a few days before, on the 21st of May, which was Whit Sunday that year, um, Charles Wesley had come into a similar experience. And it was a year afterwards, as an anniversary hymn, that he wrote O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. Now, uh, O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing was not the first verse which he wrote. The first verse which he wrote was Glory to God and praise and love be ever, ever given by saints below and saints above the church in earth and heaven. On this glad day, the glorious sun of righteousness arose. On my benighted soul, he shone and filled it with repose. So it's a reference to what had happened a year before. The, the, the reference to offer a thousand tongues is an interesting one because Peter Bowler, a Moravian missionary, had been a great help to both Charles and John Wesley in their spiritual search. And Peter Bowler on one occasion had said, had I a thousand tongues, I would praise the Lord with them all. So a year after this spiritual experience that Charles Wesley had, he wrote, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. And what about the the tunes? Because did the Wesleys write tunes as well? The Wesleys very often used tunes that were around. And uh, sometimes they were tunes from uh, the, the, the stage. Sometimes they were tunes from the pubs, the taverns, and uh, they borrowed them. People knew the tune, fit in the words, on you go. So there are several tunes that are still sung today, and I think the tune that we sing today is probably not the tune that they sang in the early days. At that time. Yeah. an inspiring story, nevertheless. And there you heard Willie Wright. Just a reminder, though, that you're tuned to Heartland FM on 97.5, or the Digital Access Channel, or heartland.scot. And if you're in one of the hospitals in the Dundee area, it's Bridge FM. Wherever you are, and by whatever means you've found us, welcome to the Heartland FM and to this programme, which is Heart and Soul, with David Wilkie and me, Howard Simpson. Each of us working from home with Sam, that's Sam Ross, putting the whole thing together for us. And let's get back to the music, and this time... 
It's uh, another of Charles Wesley's and it is the, sung by the St. Michael singers and it is Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise.
And the name of that tune is Langham, and St Michael's singers there, the song, Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing My Great Redeemer's Praise. Now it's over to David again. Adrian Plass has written a book called The Unlocking, published by the Bible Reading Fellowship. Today we hear him talking about how to help those in despair. Helping the Helpless But I, O Lord, cry out to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast me off? Why do you hide your face from me? Wretched and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am desperate. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dread assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. From all sides they close in on me. You have caused friend and neighbour to shun me. My companions are in darkness. How do you cope with someone who is in such darkness? I don't think this chap's problem is going to be solved by a tract or a relevant verse or even a Christian paperback, do you? I'm not a stranger to the kind of flooding despair that this writer is talking about, and I'm not at all surprised that his friends and neighbours are shunning him. I can tell you from personal experience that what counts is not what people say, nor what they give you materially, nor even what they do exactly, but what they are. You very soon find out what an individual's faith means when he or she is faced with someone else's dissolution. Some people panic. They want the problem solved, cleared up, got rid of as soon as possible, because raggedness threatens the artificially tidy religious construct that helps them to feel secure. Putting plasters on badly wounded people to make yourself feel better is not very helpful. Others are determined to search out the underlying cause of the problem, convinced that if they could just work out exactly what to lay hands on or cast out or pray through to victory for, then all will be well. Nothing wrong with searching, of course, but what if you find nothing? The friends who were most helpful to me were those who didn't need to have all the ends tied up, the ones who were content with a mystery, the ones who weren't seeking to solve some problem of their own through my recovery, the ones who were happy to be the hands of God without insisting on active involvement with the brain, the ones who were simply there beside me when I needed them. Thank God for the willing foot soldiers. Towards more beautiful music. The Apostle Paul says that we who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. This makes me scratch my head and ask the following question. Am I one of the weak whose failings ought to be put up with? Or am I one of the strong who ought to put up with the failings of the weak? Doesn't scripture indicate that if I think I'm strong, I'm almost certainly weak? And that if I believe I'm weak, then I'm probably strong. And if I think I'm strong, shouldn't people put up with my failings because I'm actually weak? And shouldn't I put my head in a large bucket and sing nursery rhymes to the moon? Do you get into spiritual knots like this? I have a particular talent for it. In fact, like so many of these apparent tangles, it straightens out as soon as we introduce the neglected concept of kindness. I am both weak and strong, like most of us and I need the kind forbearance of my brothers and sisters as I broadcast my conviction that only people in vine costumes will be allowed to enter heaven, or whatever the current obsession happens to be. I hope friends will gently talk me out of the loonier ideas, but each phase 
can feel terribly important at the time. Conversely, I in particular need to learn respect for the tenderness of other people's principles and abstinences, especially when they appear to have more of an imprisoning than a freeing effect. You can't bully folk out of being what they are, although you might laugh them into a slightly different shape sometimes. Pray with me. This is a hard lesson, Lord. What you seem to be saying is that anything I do, no matter how splendid or significant I or anyone else might think it, is useless if it fails to contribute to the harmony that should exist between members of the body of Christ. I don't mind admitting in theory that I'm weak, but I have to confess a real fear of appearing weak in certain situations. And I do sometimes talk disparagingly about fellow Christians because the things they're doing or saying seem weak and foolish and don't fit in with my ideas. Forgive me when I'm unconstructive and hurtful to the Holy Spirit. Forgive our arrogance towards people whom you love. We do want the one voice of the church to be a happy and harmonious one. Amen. Ah, kindness, and yes, there's been a lot of kindness and kind acts shown within the communities during the past few rather difficult months for many. More from Adrian Plass then next week. But here, meantime, it's a song about kindness. It's Red Hurley and We Can Be Kind. So many things we can't control So many hurts that happen every day So many heartaches that pierce our souls So much pain that won't ever go away How do we make it better? How do we make it through? What can we do when there's nothing we can do? We can be kind We can take care of each other We can remember that deep down inside We all need the same thing And maybe we'll find If we are there for each other, that together we'll weather whatever tomorrow may bring. And it's not enough to talk about it, not enough to sing a song. We must walk the walk about it, do our part. Give our hearts so someone else can get along. We can be kind. We can take care of each other. We can remember that deep down inside we all need the same thing. Together we'll wear the 
Irish singer Red Hurley with We Can Be Kind. But it's over to David again. The Reverend Matthew Robertson spoke to Pitlochry Church of Scotland Guild about his various life experiences. Today we hear Matthew talking about his retirement to Strathtay. In that lovely parish where my wife and I were so happy, I spent the last nine years of my active ministry. We retired to Strathtay to a house that I watched being built in my university years by the local builder for his own retirement. I knew it was well built, so I <laughs> In retirement too, I seem to have been moderately busy. I wasn't long in Strathtay when I was asked to go out to South Uist as a locum. That's quite a long spell out there. That suited me fine. Since then, I've done shorter spells in various places five times out to the island of Barra, up north to Wick, out to the island of Col. I've been intermoderator more than once for several local parishes within our presbytery, all of which I much enjoy. I'm pretty well wound down now, although I do take the occasional service when I'm asked. Now I've spoken for long enough, and hope that I haven't got you all to sleep. And to draw things to a close, it was in 1967 that the Presbytery of Dunkeld, as it then was, laid its hand to my head in Grantley Church, now a private house, setting me apart as a minister in the Church of Jesus Christ. And now, in my retirement years, if I can call them that, I sometimes ponder on how worthwhile it all has been, both to myself and to the people entrusted to my care. To my knowledge, there have been no striking conversions, certainly no personal honours, and I think few results that can be tabulated. I have simply been an ordinary minister, going about my duties as I saw fit. And yet memories flood in of those past 53 years, of friendships made and still unbroken, comfort given and confidences received, Young persons thrilled to the kirk, and older people aged, unwearied in service. I can look back on my ministry with great unhappiness, with great happiness. Indeed, I can look back on all my life thus, because compared to many, I've been blessed abundantly in parents, education, health, 
home, marriage and family. And I believe too that the parish minister, wherever he or she may serve, have a, has a unique place in society that none other can fill as a servant of God and the people. And my longest day, I will count it a privilege to be given health and strength and gifts and talents that allowed me to be that servant those past 53 years. And when I will start again, I would choose no other profession than to be a full-time minister in Christ's church forever. And that was the last of our visits to Pitlochry Church of Scotland Guild to hear Matthew Robertson. And that's our programme once again. Thank you for listening. Our thanks too to Matthew Robertson there, Adrian Plass, Willie Wright, Michael Barclay and Peter Stanford, all for their contributions to this morning's Heart and Soul, and also to Sam Ross for bringing the various pieces together. Eddie Rose is on After News at 9 with Colin Phillips at 11, Dave Barry with The Service at 1, Anne-Marie's at 2, Mike Marwick at 5, Ian Moyes at 7 and Chris Stanton at 9. That's all here on Heartland FM. But for now, David Wilkin and I, I'm Howard Simpson, we'll wish you a good day, a good week and God's blessing. We'll leave you with Bart Millard and Sweetest Name I Know. Within my heart a melody Jesus whispers sweet and low Fear not I am with thee Peace be still In all of life's ebb and flow Though sometimes he leads through waters deep Trials fall across the way Though sometimes the path Ciao.